Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So it's the holiday season and we don't want to fail our sequel lovers. That's you. So of course we got to cover a Christmas classic. And for it, we're covering Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toy Maker, where Mickey Rooney plays a guy named Joe Petto. And it's just weird hearing Petto as a last name with what this movie's about, but... This movie's got great special effects because you know why? Because Brian Usna is involved with it. So you know that's going to be there. And uh, I can't wait for Jamie to have to talk about this one. I think he's going to like it more than Puppet Master 5. So yeah, so that'll be fun next week. Man, this week's interview was one that I think it goes to show. And I think you've heard me say this before if you've been here before. If not, welcome. Uh, There's so many times I do these interviews. I can only go by an IMDb. That's all for the most part, unless somebody has a website and they have information about themselves or if there's a buy on their IMDb, but I like when there's not because I like when I'm surprised and this week's guest, actor, thespian, the guy loves being on stage, Van Quattro, his story, like you can only go on so much. I can look, oh, he's like Tom Quinn in Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, which is kill scenes pretty pretty good and uh he talked about how great it was working with brian and then you look at his other credits like la bounty which he has a great story about wings hauser right on the top because he was asking me questions when we before i started recording talking about oh how'd you start this who are some of your first interviews which is so cool and people take an interest in something that i love and it's you know finding out you know, people's stories, everybody has a story, just like a movie has a story. So it was cool that he asked that. So you'll hear like the start of the conversation, the interview, when I'm going to play it in like 30 seconds, you'll hear, oh, it's like mid conversation. It's because of that. But we talk about LA Bounty, which has the amazing Sybil Danning in it. It's like a badass, like Cobra-esque uh, vigilante, sort of. But yeah, so we had some good stories about that. We also talked about uh, Fight Club. He was in Fight Club. And then he's like a world traveler. Like his stories that were non-acting are like so mind-blowing. He's going to email me the links uh, to his books that are on Amazon. I couldn't find them somehow for some reason. But I'll make sure to put them in the episode notes. As soon as I find them, I'll blast them on all social media. Because you'll hear some of his stories, like tastes of some. One involves Patti Smith who sings, I am a warrior. And wow. Just just wow, you're going to love his stories. And he also was on Picket Fences and shot Don Cheadle. You know what? This guy, Van, has so many great stories. And I think he was a cool guy. Like, talking about his upbringing, that he had a rough childhood. And just how he sort of, like, realized it. And uh, it's some deep conversation in this one. I loved it. And you'll love it. Do me a favor. Subscribe. Like us on all social media. Share this with friends, neighbors, relatives. Holiday season, maybe like when you're passing the ham or the turkey, be like, hey, there's a podcast, The Good, The Bad, and The Sequel. Check it out, at Sequels Only. And then your grandma will be like, what? Maybe she'll do that. I, I don't know. But yeah, so yeah, so this is going to be a lot of fun. You're going to enjoy it. And uh, without further ado, here is actor Van Quattro. A little... Uh, preamble before this starts so people know sure. who you are and give a little background on you but uh yeah so we could start from the beginning but while you're talking about like wings hauser how like, rated is this uh podcast how is it rated oh you can use any okay. word you want <laughs> i tend to leak a few out <laughs> yeah well it was interesting because uh, at that 
I was married to a, I was married at the time and, and um, she booked a movie with the producer and uh, it was a small producer over in the San Fernando Valley. And uh, they wanted to see me for this, uh, this uh, project. And I didn't know who Cole Hauser was, but my, my wife at the time said, well, yeah, he's kind of a, you know, he's kind of a B movie star. He's been out there for a while. And, and, uh, and stuff like this. And so at the time, I was just beginning to train with a guy called uh, named Roy London in Los Angeles. And Roy was pretty popular. He grew very popular, incredibly popular. He was thanked a lot at the Academy Awards and things like that. He was sort of the acting coach uh, to the... to wow. the. How'd you connect with him? Did you seek him out? You know what? It was a friend of mine. We were, I was probably doing a play with, and he and, uh, actually... Uh, he uh, he said, "I'm going with this guy named Roy London," and it was myself, uh, Jason Stewart, Dean Devlin, who now runs Electric Entertainment. We're just a few guys in his living room when he first started out. They just said, "This guy's really incredible." So we went and we did that. And one of yeah. Roy's things was try uh, be active in your acting. Don't sit back. Make active choices. Make the character opposite you do respond to what you're doing. And if you don't get the response you want, keep going. And so I, I'm on the set and I'm really nervous because this is like one of the larger roles that I've had. And uh, we're doing this scene and, and I, I accuse them of kind of ripping off an old James Cagney movie because uh, he wants to put me in this box and he's aiming a gun at me and he's going, get in the box. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. He's going, get in the box. And I said, well, uh, and he cut and he goes to the director. He goes, he won't get in the box. <laughs> and <laughs> and I and the director looked at me and he just kind of went, and I said, um, okay, we'll try it again. <laughs> and we did it again. I made him work. I made him work, which was kind of funny and daring for me at the time, <laughs> you know, because uh, I thought, yeah, this thing could go haywire real easy. You know, he could just stand there and go, well, who's this fucking guy and what's he doing, you know? Um, but as it turned out, I, I kind of I kind of won the scene in the sense that I was the one who dictated yeah. when I got into the box. And that was it was important for me. I was, and it gave him something to work with. You know, you you being apprehensive is what a person would really be in that well, situation. Yes. Nobody well, would know, just be like, you're a young actor right, coming it. on the scene. And, and you know, this guy that's yeah. been around for a while is telling you to get into the box and you're kind of like, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. That's you know, true. And, and another, um, when I, my first TV job was on Remington steel. Yeah. I see that as a cab driver in 85. I, well, yes. And then, I did a uh, an episode in Las Vegas with with uh, Pierce and all those guys, and I played a I played one of the bad guys who has a fight with Pierce Brosnan. And we're in the we're in the casino, and uh, we're getting ready, and they block out all this stuff, and we do this thing, and I throw a punch to his midsection, um, and I, I didn't hit him as far as I knew, but then the director came to me, and he goes, "Well, Pierce, uh, Pierce was concerned about the punch he threw out." And I was like, okay, um, I don't know what to do differently because I don't think I hit it. <laughs> and he goes, well, just 
Go easy. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I thought, oh, shit, already I'm in hot water on this one, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be nerve-wracking. I interviewed uh, Jack Plotnick. Ooh. He's been in, like, a bunch of stuff. Uh, and he did a little tiny scene with uh, Ben Stiller in uh, Meet the yeah. Fockers. And he played the guy that at the car rental company that threw Ben Stiller the keys. Cause Ben Stiller like walks away without mm-hmm. the keys. And he said, Doug, I did not sleep for days thinking about that scene. And if I threw the keys too hard or wrong and they missed him and hit him in the yeah. eye and then production would be shut down for a month. So there has to be pressure on the people that are working with the, the stars, because if the star gets hurt, like if you threw a punch on accident and not knowing you really did, like really did give us some damage, you know, they're not going to be able to film for a little bit. So that's going to be hard coming in. I, and I've heard people say that, like when you're a guest star on a show, it, it is a great experience because you're working with all new people for the most part, but also it could be hard because you're the new kid for that day day or that week that you're there. Anything I can, I consider the initiation day because it's it's the hardest. The first day is the hardest. It really is because you're yeah. walking on that set. You've made choices. You want to be as I don't want to say bold, but you want to be as truthful as possible. And and if possible at all, you want to push some boundaries. You want to take the scene to to whatever the next level. And it's always um, a little nerve wracking to do that, you know. But I think you got. I, yeah. I have found that if I just go in. And jump right into my choices and get them out of my head, I'm fine. But it's the first day, you know, where you're meeting yeah. and you're going, what are the boundaries here? How does this person like to work? I'm nervous about my lines, you know, usually. But once you get through that, if you've got a good crew and a good director, it's gold, man. That's where the, that's where it really starts to churn. You know, when there's that trust and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, you're on the right track. We're all on the right track. Let's go. You know what I mean? <laughs> so how did it all begin for you, Van? I know you mentioned before plays. So growing up, did you grow up in Texas? No, I grew up in L.A. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. Oh, you grew up. I moved here when I so was So you grew up right in the thick of it. To Texas. There oh, was a okay. big actor strike in 1999. Uh, that was the year that my son was born, and I had uh, oh, wow. I was up for a couple of guest stars at the time. My insurance would have kicked right in again; it would have been gold. But the actor strike hit, and yeah. I was just like, "I'm not going to do this uh. anymore." And I I told my uh, uh, my son's mother, I, uh, my wife at the time, I said, "Let's, uh, I'm ready to get out." Because I was born and raised in L.A., so. Um, yeah all, yeah, all the glory and, and beautiful skies and everything that everybody uh, uh, immigrates to is, uh, for me, it was kind of a little bit of a dark time in L.A. growing up, you know, so. No, I'm sure. Did you have any connections? Like, why were, you, were your family, were, no, were your parents no, no, from no, there? No, or did deep, they come out? Deeply, deeply working class. My dad drove a truck at night, five kids in a tiny house. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, he was Italian and, and pretty brutal. So it was really, a, it was an isolated, uh, kind of a violent upbringing, you know? So no, it had nothing to do oh, with wow. the entertainment business whatsoever. And how did you discover just the, through school, like, uh, elementary school, middle school, did you discover like doing plays no. or anything? 
I was barely showing up at school most wow. of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we, uh, I had, I like to go, I like to go out. I like to do things. And I was very much into rock and roll at the yeah. time. And it was the best time in history for music. You know, the late 60s, early 70s, yeah. mid 70s was just in Los Angeles. It was an explosion. So I was on that scene hanging out and, and watching bands and uh, going backstage and doing this. And uh, my friends always said that I had a knack to uh, do just about anything. I, you know, I'd always get us backstage somehow <laughs> and nobody knew who I was, but they just kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, come on, come on. <laughs> you know, and we'd, so we'd get into all these antics and fights and this and that. And, uh, and my friend said, uh, you should be an actor. He's like, really? Uh, he goes, yeah, you know, and I think I had just barely gotten my GED. And then I went to a, uh, I got my high school diploma like three different times, you know, to make up for. Yeah. Oh, but when I was supposed to graduate, I had the credits of like a ninth grader. Wow. But yeah, I just didn't go to school. I was just, I yeah, was just yeah. one of those guys. So, so I took care of all of that. And then he said, you ought to be an actor. And um, I tried out for a play at the San Gabriel Playhouse in Los Angeles. And I got it. I had How old are you there? Out of high school already? Like you 19, oh, I, was, I was probably 22, 23. Because right out, I went okay. to a junior college in Glendale. And because I'd never played organized sports, I tried out for the uh, football team. And somehow I made it onto the team. I don't know how, but they kind of considered me the mascot. Um, and we won the champion, you know, the national championship that year, which was really odd. Oh my but, God. Uh, so after that, I decided in, in junior college to go into theater, which was, if you want to call it that, we just kind of like partied. And then somebody direct the play, <laughs> you know, and... And I did a few plays there and went off and did some dinner theater in uh, uh, La Crescenta, which is a little bit north of, uh, you know, it's a little bit north near the Angeles Crest Forest there in Los Angeles. Uh, and from there, you know, I backstreet agents, whatever, just knocking on doors, sending out photos. Uh, but the trick was, is I had no idea who I was or what I was doing. Zero. Zero. Yeah. I had not taken any acting classes at that point. All I did was party at a junior college for a year and a half to doing plays. So as far as the, yeah. the, the, the business side of the business went, I was, I had no idea. And as far as the, the consistency <laughs> of the work and the craft, I had no idea either. I knew that I could strike gold, but I also knew that I could be really bad, <laughs> you know, and I did not know how to navigate those two things or, 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 or bring them together uh, at all. I didn't know that hard work meant uh, you, you get better. Your craft gets better. I thought you either had it or you don't. So it was like I had it that day. And people were like, ooh. And then, you know, you do something that was just absolutely terrible. And they were like, where'd that come from? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. You know, so I, I didn't have a grip on it at all. But it's good that you, even though you were in that, like what most people, what I did when I was at the age, like partying, but at least you had those moments to, to feel that emotion. 
Like I'm sure maybe other people in that program were like just going through the motion, going on stage. And then when they're done, they, it left them. But at least you were sort of thinking about it at that time. Like, oh, that was really good. Oh, that was really bad. Yeah. But then what? how did you come to the realization of that next step of like, hey, I can – how do I take this you to know, the next I don't level? Think I really How did, did that happen? I mean, I really had a rough childhood. <laughs> you know, I I really had a yeah, rough you're childhood. Saying, so yeah. I was scrambled inside. I was scrambled eggs. And maybe even burnt on some of the edges. <clears throat> and so I didn't yeah. I didn't quite put it together. I went to like I said, I went to acting classes with Roy. Um I learned some things in there, but still it didn't stick. It didn't stick. I, you know, Roy would like the, 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 the group leader of the evening would call me after cl- seeing class and go, you wouldn't believe how Roy was going on about you last night. And I go, really? And he goes, yeah. And then, uh, you know, and, and, and I'd suck really badly. I just couldn't put the two together. I was too much in my head. I was too much in my head. Yeah. I took it personal. You know, when I was wrong, when I, when I wasn't good, I took it personal. And I thought, I'm just not good. And then I'd luck out and get good. And so I struggled with that a long time, but I was able to capture gold probably more often than not, you know? And that's perfect for like being on, on stage. You can, you can't get away with that. Like being, but in film, you can have a great take because everybody has great takes and people have bad takes. So it's good to have that. So how did you, so you're training with Roy and you're doing Mm -hmm. plays what was the idea? Did Roy or somebody approach you about like Remington Steel or like, I don't know if you auditioned before that for any TV or film, but how did that come to be that you started doing that? Well, there was a big time manager that Roy knew and she represented a, a, a couple of, of other people in the class. And, um, and she was like, you got it. I don't know what it is, but you got it. I'm going to sign you. Um, and so I was like, okay, let's do this. And, uh, and uh, the first thing I did was go out and dye my hair blonde with a very cheap uh, dye. So it turned my hair green. <laughs> so my first interview, she looks up at me and she goes, uh, oh, what'd you do with your hair? And I said, what? Nothing. Nothing. And she goes, you did something to your hair. And I said, no, I didn't. So I'm turning red the whole time. Um, anyway, it, it, you know, we, we did it for a little bit. I was so inconsistent and out of control. Um, that she ended up kind of parting ways with me. I think the biggest thing happened was a couple of years later, uh, there was this festival in Los Angeles called the Padua Hill, uh, the Padua play festival, new play festival. And it was run by Sam Shepard's sister. And they would take all these new plays out of the Los Angeles area and they would put them on in a festival somewhere in, uh, in the basin. And a lot of times it was done, I want to say like out near the Lancaster area. I could be wrong. But this time they were doing it at USC on campus. Uh, and it was in the, in their yards and in, in some of their, uh, uh, their groves there. So this one, and I, and this one was, uh, I think it was called why things burned by Marlene Gromed Myers. And she's, uh, she's a well-known published playwright. And a friend of mine, Mark Fight, introduced me to her, and she cast me in this play. So we're doing it out there, and, you know, these people are watching. And afterwards, this uh, casting director named Rick Pagano uh, came up to me after the show. 
And he says, uh, hey, what are you doing for the next three months? And I said, I, I, I don't know why. And he goes, well, clean your slate. Give me a call Monday. So Rick was, Rick cast Picket Fences. He was casting five shows back then. He was one of the biggest casting directors in L.A. Uh, first thing he did was literally like a week later, had me in for a guest star on on uh, Picket Fences. I get the role. They call me. They call me as soon as I get home. I get the role. I end up in Picket Fences, guest starring, and I'm the character responsible for helping Don Cheadle get off the show. I shoot him with a shotgun in the in that episode. Oh my and I have to, I have to admit, oh I did not know who he was at the time. I mean, I, he was just very kind. He walked in, hey man, how are you doing? And I was like, hey, good, how are you? You know, so there was no affectation or I, I had no prior history with him or anything like that. He was just a very nice guy. Yeah, not many people knew him. The only, the big show that he was in, like right after that maybe, was the one the which I never even knew until a few years ago, the Golden Girls spinoff. Oh, yeah. He was on that show, the Hotel, whatever uh, it was Oh, well, he did the right. Hotel Rwanda. I mean, he started to get into some serious, serious... Uh, yeah, years later. Yeah, like late 90s, early 2000s. But like around the time that you worked with him, I don't think he was in any... Right. Well, yet, I mean, so. he had a job on a TV show. That's all I knew. You know what I mean? Which was like oh, yeah. major. Heck Tom yeah. Skerritt directed it. Directed the piece. Oh, my... Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. directed it, and who else? I forget the uh, the other fellow that played Don Cheadle's brother in it, but he was awesome. The episode uh, um, CBS wanted to uh, submit us for an Emmy. You know, they said it, uh, they said they submitted us for Emmys. We didn't win that year, but uh, it was exciting. It was really exciting, and it was a, the work. I'll never forget. I got one note. I'm walking in. I've just escaped from prison. The guy that ran from me, that who we escaped together, he ran from me, he ditched me. I find him at his brother's house. I kick in the door and I stand there and I got this big gash in my arm and I go, I need a Band-Aid. And Scarrett goes, okay, cut. And he goes, come here. He goes, and he whispers in my ear, he goes, you are the baddest motherfucker on this planet. All right, now let's do it again. And I, I got him in my head and I walked in and I go, I need a band-aid. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. <laughs> and we rolled from there and I kind of picked up on where that character was going. Um, but I was really nervous the whole time. I really was. Because it was such a high profile wow. shoot. I mean, that show was winning Emmy after Emmy after Emmy. Uh, you know, it was a high profile show. Very high profile. Yeah, and uh, the talk on the softball fields the next. Yeah, I mean everybody was talking there. Oh man, your performance last night! There, so and so said this, and so and so said that, and I was, but I didn't know how to capitalize on it. <laughs> I just let it sit. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh my god. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. But then from there, then, so then 
that guy connected you with that. He cashed mm-hmm. you for that. And then how did like the other roles come up? Because there's we talked about Ryan Steele already in 85, 315, the moment of truth. You played Plains Clothes Cop. And then 87, Wheeler and uh Panic in Griffith mm-hmm. Park. So there are like you're working every year. And then I would say I didn't watch Panic in Griffith Park. I watch LA Bounty. But I would say LA Bounty, man, that's a that's a big role. Your role is like it was. Yeah, huge. it was. I was I was drinking a lot at that time. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was. It was a big role, um, and I, I think um, that was through my my wife at the time, who knew the uh, producer, and I auditioned for it, and they, uh, you know, they gave me a role. So <clears throat> I, I I did start to pick up on things that worked for me. You know, um, I started to develop ideas as an actor, but I really have to say. You know, after Fight Club, I, you know, which I was in a room with Fincher and maybe six other people, seven, small crew, Ed Norton, we're doing the scene. And it was, it was awesome. It was like working on an indie set. Yeah. Everybody was just like, hey man, that's great. Yeah. Fincher would be sitting there in his t-shirt and tennis shoes and he'd go, yeah, 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 that's good. Let's try it again. I like what you did there. Let's do this, you know. Um, I think, Doug, you know what? I I, I think it was um, years and years and years of validation that just kept sticking. And that combined with my dream, I was able to come to a point where I can actually say, and I'm talking about now, where I can actually say, yeah, I work and I know what I'm doing. I enjoy my work and I'm always open for suggestions because it's all collaborative, but I feel like I can go to work. I feel like I can go to work. Yeah. And it was a long haul. When I first moved to Fort Worth uh, after the actor's strike, um, my wife wanted a divorce. So I was here six months in Dallas, not knowing anybody. Gave up on L.A. and she goes, "Yeah, uh, I want a divorce. And we had a one-year-old son. <laughs> and because of the way I was raised, I thought, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be a vacant dad. I'm not going to be a brutal dad. I'm going to be here for my son. So what I did was I quit acting for 10 years. Quit. Just to be every day at my son's door knocking on the door saying, can I see him for 15 minutes today? That's great. So I did that for 10 years. I watched him grow in school. I went to every event that he had. Um, at one point, about 10 years later, I started to think, wow, what would it be like to get in? And I had some friends say, well, try it, try it. And I was like, I don't know, man. But uh, I did audition for a play over here, got to play. Within three years, I had a Best Actor Award in the Dallas Film Critics, uh, DFW Film Critic, uh, DFW uh, Play, Theater Critics, Best Actor, Best Written New Play, a play I wrote, a, a one-man show. Um, I'd nice. sort of done more than I ever imagined I could do in, in the theater world, but that was still my cushion, you know. I, I, I yeah. stayed there and I think I wore my welcome out at least for what I wanted to achieve. I stayed longer than I should have. 
Then last year, about a year and a half, maybe a year and a half ago, right after COVID, I said, I'm not doing theater anymore because the theater scene just got too crazy. Everybody was canceling everybody. And it was like, you know, you open your mouth the wrong way and you're being canceled and people are picketing your shows. And I said, I don't want any part of that. So wow. I said, I'm going to focus on my film work. And I've probably booked. Uh, and you're busy. Like the last couple of years. Yeah. Booked- oh, yeah. You have a lot of things on here the last yeah. couple of years. Yeah. So that's what I'm looking at today. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, yeah. I'm just starting. <laughs> that's what it feels like. I'm just starting. Nice. You know, it's kind of exciting. Well, yeah, there's some people. That's what acting is. If you think about it, it's really hard. It's very rare that you have somebody that is like in a ton at every age of their lives. Like there, there, there's like these ebbs and yeah. flows. So this might be Van's time Maybe. to shine. But to be honest, there's a lot of actors that get to that. They, you have to have a look. So whether you have that look in your twenties, your thirties, your forties, your fifties, your sixties, whatever age it is, that that's when your time to capitalize is. And you see it with a lot of people that are in, in every area you see an actor that is a certain look and it's like, wow, this is the guy for the next X amount of years. He's going to be cast as the mayor, the judge, the, the cop on all the guest starring roles. But one thing I have to say about you and in like those eighties and nineties, like definitely like the two that I watched that I remember you most from are like silent night, deadly night five and when I just watched Ali Bounty for the first time, I would say like your eyes. I don't know if anybody ever yeah. said that or casting director or manager. You have like very expressive eyes. Yes. It's it's yes. something. Like yeah, when they zoom still, in yeah. tight on your face in LA but, Bounty. Um, you know, they say the eyes are the window of the soul. I, I believe that. Yeah. Um and I don't think I was ready to completely share what I had inside. So those things yeah. that you saw were not the full artist. They were, I don't have a problem looking anything at anybody in the eyes these days. I think back then, yeah. you know, I was an alcoholic. You know, you always got some shame you're carrying around. You're carrying around extra baggage. And if you can weave that into your work somehow, and get away with it. That's what I always felt like. You know, it's like John Lennon said, when you're crippled inside, that's one thing you can't hide, you know, in one of his songs. And I thought to myself back then, that's what it was. I was hurting really badly inside. I did not know that the world needed to see that. So I kept a part of it hidden. You know, now I don't give a flying fuck. And not only do I not give a flying fuck, but I give enough of a flying fuck to do my best and show the world like this is me now this is it and this yeah. is not only it but you're gonna get this also because i'm starting right here <laughs> you know and if you let me go there yeah. i'll go i'll go that's why i'm here that's why we're all here to try to push it yeah push that level and not not just to rattle nerves or anything but to push the parameters of humanity that's all you know, those people that are it's a film is that's deeply, art. deeply alone in the darkness of their rooms are those people that are incredibly, incredibly joyful. Not here, but here and here, here. Yeah. You know, that's that's my mission statement. Now, you know, if that plays, I think it's starting to play out a little bit. 
hey, if you if you believe in it, you can make mm-hmm. it happen. You know, you can like will things into existence if you have your like mantras that you say or no, that's totally true. But I, I agree with you. I would say most artists, comedians, people that put themselves out there, entertainers, they are like somewhat of a tortured soul. Nobody wants to, for the most part, people don't want to hear a song about, uh, you know, the, how somebody's life is so great. You want to listen to like Billy Joel talking, you know, uh, the song that he wrote just uh, weeks after he tried to kill himself in the seventies when he tried to drink like that floor cleaner or whatever, you hear like the torturedness yeah. in his voice on like the yeah. stranger, like on yeah. that album. No, you're 100% right. Yeah. And it's been a long goal and it's been a lifetime um, desire of mine, you know, to be able to yeah. use this compass uh, of a body to try to uh, uh, bring things to life, you know? And you're going to do it. How, how'd you come about choosing Dallas? Mm-hmm. Like that area, just on the map? Uh, you know, Fort Worth was where my uh, my son's mother was from initially. And we had come oh, back okay. for, you know, some holidays and things like that. And Fort Worth is pretty much a very sleepy town. You know, it's a conservative, sleepy town. Um, when I visit yeah. there, whenever I would have a chance to visit there, it always reminded me of Glendale, California, like when I was growing up. Main Street, you know, not a lot of people, not a lot of distraction, not a lot of the world creeping in. And Fort Worth was kind of like that. And so I considered for my son, I didn't want to raise him in L.A. And I thought he might be yeah. able to get a kind of home grown uh, uh, childhood, you might have a better chance for something like that in Fort Worth. You know, and that was the decision that we Where's he at made. now? Is he still in Texas? Hmm? Is he still in Texas, he, your yes, son? Yes. Uh, last year, he just graduated UT Austin. He's down in Austin, living nice. in Austin. And <laughs> the funny thing is, is he denied it his whole life. I said, don't you want to get into the film industry? No, dad, no, no, no. In school, you know, and he was played football and did some of that stuff and ran around with frat boys and stuff. And and I'm saying, okay, all right, cool. Yeah. You don't have to. No problem. I said, do you want to act? He goes, dad, I don't want people watching me. Okay. So about halfway, he gets into UT and he has to transfer in mid-semester uh, because out of, a, out of the junior college there. And so he transfers yeah. in. The only thing available is geography. So he he goes, okay, I'll major in geography. He wanted to grab a chance to be, you know, to graduate out of UT. So he took it and he ended up with like a 3.7 grade average in geography. Wow. And I was so proud of him because he just, he just took something he knew absolutely nothing about, probably had no desire whatsoever. and, And he made gold from it. But now he's, hitting the pavement down in Austin trying to get jobs in the film business. It's it's in his blood. Oh it's he is in his blood like yeah, you wouldn't yeah. believe. And it just boom. What was it what was it like when you moved when you moved there in like ninety nine? Austin's not too far, no. right? From where you're no. at? Uh so like hours, was there was there anything like Oh, it is that far. Okay. But do you remember going there back then? Like what was the scene like then? Because now it's like what Portland was yeah. in the nineties I moved to, I lived in Portland for a yeah. few years. 
Uh, but from what I hear from people, like Austin is like what Portland was in the 90s, 2000s. I'm glad he's down there because it's probably yeah, uh, yeah cool. it's probably the most open-minded uh, city in Texas for sure. By a long shot. Night. Oh, yeah. By a long shot. More, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And yeah. he's uh, uh, he likes it. You know, it's 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 crowded. It's probably just more of the same of what you were what you had experienced. Uh, more of the same. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> he's digging it, but now, like I said, he uh, he wants badly into the film business, and he's not quite. That's sure great how to that do he it. transferred mm-hmm. in. I thought your story was going to be that when he transferred, there was only one class available, and it was I acting know. because that happened to Robert Hayes. That's what happened to Robert Hayes. Really? Like when I interviewed yeah. him, that's what happened. He uh, he's a California kid. His dad was in the military. They moved to a base in Nebraska when he was like eighteen. He was like so pissed off that he like his surfboards were wasted now because he had to live in Nebraska. They were only there for a year, so he transferred like mid semester. I think he was. I think he ended up going to UCLA or USC or something. So when he was doing his classes. The, there was nothing available but acting. And then from obviously the rest is history that he took the acting classes and he fell in love with it. But uh, that's so great that he took geography 3.7. And then now yeah. he wants to be like dad. He wants to follow into the footsteps. And there's a big scene there for whatever kind of creative art he wants to do. There is. Uh, he was really concerned when he first came out and he felt pretty isolated because he did not know anybody in the film department there. He did not have any training whatsoever. So it was like, Dad, what do we do? And I said, well, you just start yeah. looking. You become a PA. You start doing whatever you want to do. He wants to produce and, you know, maybe someday direct. And so, um, and he's he's kind of got a little foot in now, you know. He's, he's got a foot in the door. Nice. And I'm, I'm happy because he doesn't feel so sort of, outside of it all you know you gotta give me your tips from when you used to get backstage <laughs> whatever uh tricks uh the gift of gab that you that i don't know what had, i did man really help out but i can't tell you I, I you know i was just i looked like somebody i think they all thought i was somebody so. yeah i think it's i think it's a combination of that because me and my wife get that like whenever we go places people always like open up to us and talk to us at bars right. and everything. And same thing, not backstage, but like I, I could really get my, get into anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like whenever we ever, we go yeah. anywhere. So maybe you just had that, uh, that look that people wanted to talk oh, yeah. to you. There, people have it. I, know. I, you know? I, I, I have no idea. Cause I could be a real jerk too. <laughs> <laughs> When you get backstage, but before that, you got to be nice until you get there. But it's good nowadays with filming wise and having a dad at his disposal that has chops. It, like when he wants to film something, I'm sure if he asked dad, you'd be yeah, in it, absolutely. but it's all that just, that's what I've learned that I wish I can go back in time. Cause I like doing filming and stuff. Not nowadays with two kids, it's hard and I have to make time yeah. for it. But when I was younger and I used to shoot stuff, I used to just like shoot something and then like not finish the project, shoot something, not finish. But nowadays I think there's such a great opportunity with like cell phones, the way they could shoot and the ability for like rental equipment places. Like there was like maybe like a couple of those growing up, but now it seems like there's more and it's more affordable. 
but it's all about just finishing a project because you know what's going to happen. The next one you do, you're going to learn from your mistakes from the pro. Like the first time I interviewed, like you asked me before we started recording, like when I first talked to Jerry Miner and like Jason Kravitz, like the early people are like Lance Kinsey from Police Academy. When I go back and listen to him, I'm like, what a moron. It's not that I was saying dumb things. It wasn't, it was just that I wasn't as confident and my editing skills weren't as mm-hmm. good. So you hear like some of the different things and sure with filmmakers, even like a David Fincher, maybe like when he was shooting music videos, cause that was his in yeah. to, to directing. Yeah. Maybe when he, when he went back, if you watch one today, he'd be like, what the hell did I do there? Or what the hell did oh, I do with this? So it's all about just, but yeah. the one thing that I tell my friends regarding yeah. what you spoke about is a half finished project will not teach you anywhere near as much as a completely finished project. You've got to 100%. finish. I've had 15 stories I've been writing, you know, and they're all just in pieces. Finally, I got four, I've got four books on Amazon. I'm work. I've got two more that I haven't published. Really? I'm finishing things. Nice. I'm seeing them to their fruition. I'm not letting them sit. What kind of books are they, Van? What kind of stories do you write? The first three are autobiographical. Whoa. I got to check that and out. And I've done probably a lot more than you could imagine just by fucking up. <laughs> but <laughs> but I fucked up in great places. London, Greece, you know. I And, and I was just this kid from Glendale who ran Main Street in yeah. his bare feet. And... Uh, uh, I had a dad who didn't know how to sign his name, but I wanted to get out. Yeah. I wanted to get out. So I busted out and I just went out and I kind of raised hell in a lot of places, you know, but that was me. I had to. Nice. I got to check them out. <laughs> now, that's cool that you did that. Writing, I think it's a hard craft because you're kind of like with yourself and a good thing. It's great because you're not depending on someone else to finish the project. But in the other hand, then it's only well, it you is, yeah. they, that's held accountable. Yeah. yeah. And you're, you're, you're like, I've written scripts with my writing partner and it's great to have someone else to be able to be like, Hey, we're we going to write this week. And you have somebody that is like your checks yeah. and balances. That's so great that you were four. My first books. book was about uh, when I sold everything in 1982. I mean, everything, everything. I didn't have much. I had a Volkswagen van <laughs> and I lived in Charlie Chaplin's uh, maids quarters in the Hollywood Hills you know, down below. Whoa. Um, yeah. Cause the people really? that uh, owned the house at that time, they leased out the, the room underneath. And I uh, met a girl were the people that, that owned Charlie Chaplin's house. That? Were they anybody? The people that, the people that owned Charlie Chaplin's house, were they anybody? I don't think so. I think they were it at the been time a costly house. Called, uh, 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 very uh, affluent yuppies. You know? Okay. Uh, but they were kind of, they were great. I mean, yep. I partied a lot in that place. If they only knew, you know. Um, (laughs) So you sold everything out of the van. Yeah, because I had, uh, I met this girl at a party and she was English. And I thought, if you know the Beatles, you know, I want to talk to you. And so she said, well, why don't you come to London? I was like, I was doing a play at the time, Mr. Roberts. Uh, And uh, after the play, I said, okay. And I sold everything to go there. When I got there, she was like, Oh, hi. I didn't think you were coming, really. <laughs> so I ended up staying for like two years. And I met up with Ava Gardner, Holy uh, shit. Jill Bennett. I hung out with Charles Gray. I hung out with these amazing people that I just happened to stumble upon. 
for two years. Oh my God. Um, and that's when I came back and I started going to class with Roy London. But again, I found myself in situations. I, you know, yeah. I was this uh, dude uh, from California who found himself at the, the <laughs> at the Royal Ballet watching <laughs> watching Vershnikov, uh, you know, dance, and I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> in a good way. That's insane. In a good way. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. totally. You know. Oh my god, that's awesome. So no, I have to look those books up. I'm sure you wrote them under your name, right, oh, yeah. Van Quatro? But they're risque. I wouldn't, you know, they're cool. not for the, they're not for kids. I suppose. I won't read it to my uh, my three year old. Yeah, my, they might uh, laugh. Four month old. Think, oh my gosh, you did that again? They might. <laughs> they might get a chuckle out of it, but I I tell on myself a great deal. Yeah, no, that's good. You have to be honest. And then people feel that when they're reading yeah. and they know. Some appreciate people are, it, some uh, don't. <laughs> Believe me. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, Van, I, I have to ask about, uh, this has been so much fun, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toy Maker. So I interviewed Brian Usna. I don't remember how I actually booked that thing, but I remember Brian was awesome. I liked him a lot. I don't remember if that was like through my agent or through some kind of connection or what, but it was, you know, we just shot the one night on it. Um, yeah. And it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I was much younger as you can see in the picture. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there wasn't a lot to do, but I, you know, it was fun. I liked it. Is he still directing? Uh, so when I talked to him, he was still like writing. He wasn't directing anything, but uh, yeah, no, no, no directing, okay. but he's a storyteller. His story is pretty cool too. Cause he grew up, uh, his dad was uh military base. I don't know if he was in the military or he was just, like contracted by the military to do stuff, but uh, no, he was definitely a storyteller. He was, I think he's the longest interview I did. He, it was an hour before he arrived into doing film stuff, but no, he was like a big hippie, sold all the stuff, owned like an art store really? in cool. North Carolina, yeah, cool. sold, sold all the art supplies to like Duke and North Carolina students. Really? Like no, he was a uh, very, very interesting, but no, I guess that wasn't his uh, son. His son played Lonnie. Yeah. I, I only met Conan the kid, that was in that. the mom. And Probably that's, all that's I it, right? On that. Yeah, that's all I worked with. Yeah, the kid was William Thorne. He wasn't really in much after that, but what a freaky scene! Like you're, you're, uh, he walks in on you and Jane, yeah. and then the, the the kid opens the door. Which man, I couldn't imagine. As a kid, I had no fears of anything, but now having kids, I would be, I would like get so nervous hearing my that my daughter opened the door in the middle of the night to open up a package, but. Your scene was kind of cool the way it was done. And Brian's known for that in his career. All of his movies have like really mm -hmm. cool special mm -hmm. effects, which this movie has. And, and when he directed the fourth one, but uh, yours is cool. when the thing wraps around your head and it's just neat. Yeah. And then they said, you're going to get the poker in your face. And I was like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so one question I like to ask people before they go, obviously we talked about like your you're growing up and everything, but when it comes to like 
on set, did you grab it? I know you sold everything in 82, but from when you started being in film and TV, did you ever have any keepsakes? Do you keep any scripts? Did you keep any? Oh yeah. I've got, I've got like, I don't know. Mementos. Very many. Um, I've got the original script from, uh, fight club, you know, which was the working script. That's awesome. No, I can't say that I have, I really, I'm not that kind well, I mean, I collected baseball cards, but I'm not that kind of a person, you know, that, that, uh, especially now as I'm getting older. Yeah. Oh, why? I mean, now that I'm getting older, I mean, I might, if I get the opportunity, get something to give it to my son. Um, I've got, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you could see that on the wall there. Uh, but that's, well, there's that, that picture. See that, that up in the corner on, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Jill Bennett. And Jill Bennett was, um, a major uh, stage and screen actress in in, uh, in in England. And she was married to John Osborne, the playwright, who John Osborne had Academy Awards. Oh, wow. Uh, if you look him up, he's just, yeah. he changed the history of, of uh, English theater. But I was hanging with her uh, when I was in London. <laughs> so this is from the Royal Court when they did John Osborne's play, Time Present, when it premiered there. And it's signed by Jill. And so that means a lot to me because, you know, Jill and I were pretty close uh, at the time. So I kept that over the years. But, you know, most stuff, I was too reckless. I lost it. Patti Smith, I saw her in concert, one of her first concerts in in, uh, Los Angeles. And we were backstage with Iggy Pop and Lou Reed. And and she had uh, somebody handed her a T-shirt that said, who the fuck is Patti Smith? And I go, oh, man, I was talking to her. And I said, I want one of those. And she goes... No, there's only like four of them for the band. I'm really sorry. So we talked a little bit more. And of course, I was drunk and like, hey, wow, let's go. And then she goes, you know what? You look like my brother. And I'm going to give you this shirt. So I had her, (laughs) who the fuck is Patty Smith t-shirt for a while. But again, who knows what happened to her? (laughs) I've had things. So to answer your question, I've had things, but most of, I sort of lost them through time. Yeah, sometimes it's like, when are you going to look at it again? You know, like, that's what some people say when I ask them that. Uh, they'll have, like, the end of shoot, like, shirts. They keep scripts. But you know what? Of all scripts to keep, uh, Fight Club's it a is. good one. The working script. Oh, I that, think so. Pretty... It's got the original notes and, you know, a lot of uh, uh, revisions. And, you know, yeah, I was really proud of that. Yeah, just one more question. I'll let sure. you go, Van. This has been great. So, Sybil Danning, obviously, at that time, even, like, Wings, they were uh, – they were both like B movie yeah. stars, but man, I got to, she, that movie is so, I really like that movie. Like not genuine. Like it's so bad. Yeah. It's good. I really like her as an act. I've never, I haven't watched a lot of her movies. I saw like howling too, but like not a lot of her like action yeah. ones. And man, she is just a stunner. I guess she was kind of her and, and uh, uh, what's her name? Gloria. The one that works with uh, uh, John, uh, Casvetti's, what's her name? But anyway, they were kind of, weren't they kind of the oh, original lady sort of uh, badasses? Sort of. I would say that you mentioned that, and I'm sure you know her sister, uh, like Cherie Curry. Yeah. Her sister, uh, Sandra, I interviewed her. Her her movies in the 70s, I didn't even know it was a genre, but she was in a bunch of Slice and Dice yeah. movies, revenge yeah. movies like the bad guy did something yeah. to her or killed her husband and she would kill them all. 
And there were some pretty cool movies that I never discovered unless I would have chatted. Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah. They were pretty cool, like Slice and Dustin. But I would say 80s wise, I would totally say those two. Like, definitely Sybil, what she did in those movies. I just think she's like, she's still, she's 70. Yeah, she's still around. Or maybe a little bit older. I just remember. She doesn't. I just remember looking at her and going, (laughs) that chick is rocking. You know, I, you know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I just remember every chance. She looks like she'll kick your ass. I was just like, hi. (laughs) Yeah. When she peeks into yes, your car, yeah, she's I know. ready to it take you out. But uh, it was great. Oh man, Van, I'm happy we connected. I wish you nothing but the best, and I'm going to check out your book because oh, uh, do you know they're quick, they're easy reads. Cool. They're in, in in you know the way it's written emotionally, they they're kind of tough. But I uh, appreciate that. Yeah. And if you ever uh, if you ever want to revisit, you know, I got a couple of projects going on in the first quarter. That I'm excited about. Okay. Um, I got a couple of movies that are coming out here. Like next month, 5,000 Blankets is coming out. And also a movie okay. called Out of Exile, which I'm very excited about. It's a movie out of Oklahoma, and I think you'd really like it. Talk to you soon. Right, Best of luck. That van. He's up there with like a handful of people, I'd say, like the most interesting because everything that's off the IMDb that I don't know about, like his stories about like just traveling in England all over the world. And he, like he said, he had the gift of gab and hopefully he could pass it along to his son because it's helpful the way he was able to always get backstage growing up in LA. You know, he, he just knew what to say and he has a familiar face and those eyes, those piercing eyes. You make sure you check him out. Well, you'll see him at silent night, deadly Night five in the opening scene. Uh, when he gets killed by a toy. Spoiler, not really. It's the opening scene of the movie. But uh, yeah, so much fun. Love talking with Van. Like I said, his books, whenever they, whenever I get the link to them, I'll put them in the episode notes and on the web on our website, right on the landing page, sequelsonly.com, so you can see it there. But uh, yeah, so your homework, Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toy Maker. You can learn about Joe Petto, Mickey Rooney, who... Uh, a listener of ours, uh, my buddy Rob Schnitzer, who I became friendly with just through this podcast, he told me Mickey Rooney was protesting the first movie, like all those people picketing, saying like, oh no, don't kill Santa, don't make Santa Claus a killer, you're going to ruin Christmas. Mickey Rooney was one of those. Four movies later, he's like, I want in. So don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media at Sequels Only, and don't forget to check out our website, SequelsOnly.com. Good night. Good night.